and welcome to Fresh Press for June 15th, 2021. My name is Gabe. And my name is Andrew. This is a show about music where we talk about new tunes. It's a great bit. It's a great bit. It's going to really come <laughs> through really well. Um, Andrew, today we have uh, a longtime friend <laughs> and regular guest of the show. As regular as any guest of the show, meaning she's been on it twice? Yeah, that's pretty regular. Hello, Soraya. Welcome back to Fresh Pressed. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you back. So today, because we have the lovely company of Soraya, we will be only doing new tunes this week, as Andrew alluded to, but we have three of them for you. Yeah. Andrew, should we start with you? Uh, If we must. I mean, yes, I'd love to. (laughs) I have a song uh, entitled The Rot by Dean Blunt off his new album Black Metal 2. So I should mention at the top that um, she's not credited directly on the song, but I did with some uh, minimal digging. Uh, the vocalist on much of that song is Joanne Robertson, uh, who I don't know anything about, but she appears to be a, uh, I think a folk musician, but she also collaborates with Dean Blunt like all the fucking time, which is how I was easily able to figure out who it was. Um, cause she's like, I think it's just like anytime he needs a, another vocalist on the track, he asks Joanne. Dean Blunt's actual name is Roy Nauchi. Um, he is British and, um, this is, this is the last track on the album. Wow. That's so yeah. fresh, Andrew. You, yeah. You, thank you. Amazing. Yeah, I couldn't have. I probably also, you know, couldn't have guessed that just from the whole, <laughs> just from the whole the vibe. Song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and this is he has like a, a ten billion albums. He's incredibly prolific. Um, this this one's Black Metal Two and was released just sort of suddenly. I think he announced it like on like Tuesday or Wednesday of last week and then put it out on Friday. Um, wow. and he had an album in twenty fourteen. That is called Black Metal. So this is, I guess, sort of a sequel, but not really. I listened to some of Black Metal. I didn't have a lot of time this weekend, so I did not listen to the whole thing. But I listened to some of it. It is just as, I would say it's a, it's a sequel in sort of uh, approach in that it is also wildly eclectic in genre, which is true of this album. Not Most of the album does not sound like this, uh, but it sounds like a variety of things. Uh, which is very cool. Um, there's stuff that is a lot more hip hop, and there's stuff that is a lot more like indie, like folky kind of stuff, um, and then just sort of this dreamy kind of pop realm of things that we're a big proponent of on this podcast. No, but it's uh, I like the blend between like dance floor inspired beats in production which is sort of how i feel about this song um and 
like folkier vocals. Although it's yeah. not like folky, but you know. No, but the but the timbre of of Joanne's voice is very much uh, folk oriented. I would agree with that. It reminds me almost of like she reminds me of like Sinead O'Connor, or um, the Cocteau Twins, or like some sort of late twentieth century sweeping yeah. artist in pain kind of um, this old, <laughs> which. <laughs> which is really really cool it was not something i expected starting the song and that feels like a very interesting genre blend Yeah, I, I I agree with I agree with that comparison, um, and also with the with the surprise at, at like hearing it because I had I, I had somewhat of a difficult time finding uh, music this weekend, and I saw this album and I was like, this does not seem like something I'm gonna enjoy. It's like titles in all caps. It has the word metal in the album title, um, <laughs> and I really didn't know what to expect. And then the thing about Roy, uh, uh, sorry, Dean Blunt, his real name's Roy. Dean Blunt, um, is that as you listen to the album, you still don't know what to expect because it keeps changing. <laughs> so, like, the first half of the album is is a lot more, like, it's not really hip-hop, but it is a lot more hip-hop focused or, like, influenced. And so I was, like, not vibing with it as much. But then sort of in the latter half, it started to change and get more not that this has no hip-hop influence but it it has a more like mellow sort of vibe to it it's like kid cuddy hip-hop influenced right which is <laughs> right an al of man on the moon an album that i very much enjoyed uh in high school so you know <laughs> something that i love about this song is i i feel like i'm kind of a sucker for songs that um use samples at the beginning or the end or the middle whenever in some sort of weird way you have some little um musical element that really doesn't feel like it belongs that's been threaded into the main song um mm-hmm. and you can tell that it's maybe like a s- it's just like you can tell that it's borrowed from something maybe with a bit of significance to the artist or maybe it was some other little project that they'd worked on that they've weaved into it and i i really don't know what the case is with this one but like the last seven seconds of the song just completely change um and you have these and it could very well be that jet that's just how it was written but it definitely feels like it um it it follows like a certain style that has really been made popular especially by albums like uh, you know, Channel Orange, and you know the whole trend of of. I mean, and I think this is this is this is not a new trend, but the, the whole trend of like 
weaving different sounds into whatever you're making in hip hop and using like little samples from classical music or from voice messages or whatever it is. And Mm -hmm. I'm a total sucker for that. I love that. I love when people (laughs) do that and do that well um, because the, the gesture or clue towards something else that's significant to me is so sweet and meaningful. Um, And, and I love the use of it here. I I think it's correct that it is just the composition of the piece. I don't know that it is a sample, but um, yeah, just like the, the strings and those classical instruments coming in really just like expand the palette of the song, which is something that's been happening throughout the whole album. But here is where I think it really, and in classic uh, last track that Andrew loves fashion, (laughs) it sort of uh, floats into the ether um, as the, as the album ends. Yeah. And Uh, it feels so suggestive of, so it's just, it's just suggestive, which I love. It's so, it's just, you know, suddenly you, you you're you're given some new form or some new feeling, like right in the final seconds of a song that has already made you feel so much, and that's so mm. playful and, um, yeah, and and hints at some some boundary past the the boundaries of the album, and yeah, I think exactly, that's so sweet, especially with the strings being set so far back, like they sound like they're you're you're they're being played on the floor below well yeah because you're floating into the ether we already addressed this Gabe. come on keep up you know the drums feel that way as well the drum like i was not expecting the drums to sound like that at all when they yeah they're so hollow and wide and yeah just they don't they don't feel sharp at all whatever the opposite they're just but they're not they're not blunt either because they do really reverberate well it feels like they are (laughs) dean blunt Dean Blunt's blunt drums. <laughs> but I, I feel like, um, yeah, it, it just almost feels like you're hearing this really massive and almost as if you're hearing this really massive drum set played very aggressively, um, but like two stories away from you, like two stories down or like yeah. a building away from you. Um, and that's really cool. Dean Blunt, I want to talk about him a little bit. I don't know anything about him, but um, everything that I've read about him in the last 24 hours has been just, like, about how he's kind of a weirdo. (laughs) Um, Everyone mentions how in 2016 he um, put a, like, toy car filled with weed on eBay. And I don't know why that was such a big thing, but, like, (laughs) for some reason everyone mentions it. I don't know. I didn't, you know, I didn't follow up on any of those. I just saw that line in like five different articles and didn't didn't learn anything more. So that's sort of my research tactic. Do you know where, how he got his pseudonym or chose his pseudonym, Dean Blunt? I, I don't, but I am also wondering, as I assume you are, uh, based mm-hmm. on the weed-filled car, if Blunt <laughs> is in reference to a Blunt. Um, which I don't know. And, you know, he's from London. Maybe there's some London slang. Yo, bruv, this is a real Dean Blunt. (laughs) He also, I think this is relevant to this song. He is a vocal proponent of transcendental meditation, which I think Mm -hmm. uh, goes along with 
what we've been saying just now about all of the sort of uh, transcendence of the mixing of these, the, the choice of the instrumentation, the mixing of that instrumentation, and sort of the arrangement and organization of the song as a whole uh, feels very transcendental. If anyone is wondering what color this song is in my synesthesia brain, it's dark blue. Mm. But I still feel like that's a very an association that makes sense if you're listening to like a song that makes you feel like you're in space that's that color is going to come up personally i think yeah people always talk about the deep blue of space (laughs) um no but i i totally agree with you Gabe, what's the song that you have this week? This is Evangeline by Chloe Foy off her debut album, Where Shall We Begin? Oh, how you So, Andrew and Soraya, my well-informed artistic friends, how familiar mm-hmm. are you with the story of Evangeline? Not at all familiar. <laughs> Not at all. I thought you were going to ask how familiar I was with Chloe Foy. No, I know how familiar you must be with Chloe Foy. Um, however, I want to talk a little bit about Evangeline. Okay. And I'm not a thousand percent sure that it's based off of the poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Ah, that's why I don't know. Fuck that guy. Uh, Sucks. But I have a suspicion that it is. Evangeline is about an Acadian girl named Evangeline and her uh, lost love, Gabriel. Wow. um, Who is expelled from the colony of Acadia Mm. uh, in the late 1700s during the uh, expulsion of the Acadians, which was an event that happened during the French and Indian War that was taking place in like the 1750s, 1760s. Acadia, just for reference, is, is the sort of the region of like Nova Scotia and Northern Maine. You might be familiar with Acadia National Park. Um, interestingly, that people, a, a, a large subsection of that population that was expelled during that time for various political reasons uh, ended up in southern Louisiana. Huh. Interesting. Um, And we know those people as the Cajun people. Whoa. 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 That's Which I thought is very interesting. Um, And so listening to the lyrics of the song you could see how uh, it seems like the song to me is influenced by the poem and this um, fictional tale based in this historically fictional tale. 
Um, although I have no confirmation of that from anywhere. You just want it to be true because the other character's name is Gabriel. Well, naturally. <laughs> One of the first things I wanted to say about this song was that I feel like it has such a an almost like military cadence and I, I just felt that it had the, the feeling of this really it builds into this really epic almost like military band song like I would like to mm. hear it performed by a military band <laughs> um, and which is not something I think often about any music <laughs> but I definitely had that thought and I, I think part of that is also just how crisp and clear her voice is and the way that it's produced on this track um but just how obviously just she has such a clear she sings with such clarity and her harmonies also just feel like so um so uh what's the word i'm looking for i don't know they feel a bit like ribbons like they're just so long and so tight and and the combination of that made it feel like it had these epic connotations of of nation or um of of some fight for something so it makes total sense to me if this is based off of a story about migration and immigration and like you know like these kinds of conflicts because i felt that so hard hmm wow Andrew, I am sure you're familiar with Chloe Foy. You've, have you seen her? Did she yeah. open for? She opened for Jessica Hoop at the boot uh, in, I guess, probably 2019. Yes, so I have seen her. What's she like live? Um, she was great. She was lovely. You know, it was, you know, she was good. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Chloe Foy as a person. Um, she's from Gloucestershire in England. Um, and this is her debut album, which I find very interesting because she had done, like, headlined her own tour in the UK and then done a tour in the US supporting Jessica Hoop uh, and hadn't, like, released any full length music. Although she's been putting out, I guess, singles and EPs for about the last decade. Hmm. Wow. Um, her whole musical career was, like, properly launched, I guess, after. The way she describes it is her father died from depression, in part because he was somebody who wanted to do art and ended up getting trapped in some like nine to five is like the way that she describes it in interviews. Um, And that experience of her father passing away, like sort of kickstarted her own musical ambitions into being like, well, I'm going to make this work. Do you know how old she is? Oh, I just found her birth date. Never mind. <laughs> How, How old is she? If anyone wants to, if anyone's curious, she was born in August 1992. So that makes her 28. Yes. Right. Yep. So yeah, and obviously her father passed away relatively young then. Wow. I also really appreciate, this is, <laughs> I mean, this is like, both a negative and a positive to me. I personally feel that the reason why British people sound American when they sing 
when like popular pop or folk or whoever British musicians sound so American when they sing is that I think it's very hard to translate their accents to to um like just happy and 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 soft <laughs> and pleasant melody like and, and what <laughs> I, I personally I think like it can be very jarring when you hear one of their pronunciations and you're just like what that being said, I really appreciate when people do. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like I feel like it's not a very common thing. I think it's very easy for a lot of British artists to, like, just... And I, I definitely feel like... I mean, <laughs> maybe this is a terrible take. <laughs> but I feel like, at least in more popular culture, not necessarily, like, indie musicians, but I feel like there are a lot of popular British artists or, like, you know, we were talking about Lord the other day. It's like... A lot of her early music, her her accent, which is very thick, is indistinguishable. And I just appreciate that in this song, you can very clearly tell like where Chloe Foy is from, and um, there and and that's really nice. I think it makes her voice and performance very much more individual and unique. And the phrasing is really beautiful and lovely. <laughs> I feel I feel nervous that I I feel nervous that I <laughs> elicited a what. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna angrily disagree and then um uh and then you said the thing about Lord and I realized that I didn't know that Lord was British. Lord is Australian. Australian. She's Australian? <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. No yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah. No, I I sorry, I think you're right. Um especially the more popular the music is, the more singular the accent becomes. I'm not sure that the normal singing voice um, is not actually somewhere between the tra- like between the transatlantic mm-hmm. accents. Like That's I true. think that because the way we broaden our vowels when we sing as Americans, we also uh, arrive closer to a British sound, um, and so there's some meeting in the middle. So we're not as aware of it, but it's very distinct when somebody sings with a very clear American accent or a very clear Australian accent, or a very clear British accent. And this isn't yes. like an overwhelming Irish brogue, which we've had you know, on this podcast before, but it's right. like, she's clearly from somewhere in England, right? Yeah. You know what it is? And, and so maybe I'm going to say this to clarify so that I don't sound that I'm just like an, an America first motherfucker, but I, I think it's, it's more that you're right. There's this sort of like common accent that we have designated like we've said like this is the common singing accent and it's like when we were in the 1950s and 60s and there was like that whatever like whatever that accent was called like the mid-atlantic whatever this random accent that actors were using specifically for only when they were acting in films um Mm -hmm. which is why all the movies sound like that and like (laughs) i feel (laughs) i feel like it's definitely true that everyone who who sings or does singer songwriter stuff has to sort of um like sit within the phonetics of that and stuff to like make sense to the to to popular audiences and i really appreciate it when somebody doesn't um because that's hard another big piece of this song that i love is the strings and the, the way that they swell and build and swirl um so i wanted to make sure that i mentioned the like the primary arranger of the strings who chloe foy worked with closely who's harry fousing smith but also something that fascinates me is i don't feel that her vocals 
build too much in like volume or uh, dynamism, but rather she maintains like this beautiful, strong, clear, like Sraya, you mentioned there's a lot of clarity to her vocals, which I definitely agree with, like thread through the song. And the whole arrangement swells around her and it makes like this incredible grand impression Hmm. Uh, building and building and building um, and then fading back at the end beautifully she did an ep like last year um with a string quartet um that was really lovely do you know if that was the same or do you, you don't know uh, it's not immediately obvious to me mm. well i i did listen to her ep from i believe it came out last year called callous copper that was just her and string quartet, and it was really lovely. I think that um, I actually remember her talking about that at the show that I saw her at. So she must have recorded it. Just she must have recently recorded it and then released it last year, or I could have my timeline wrong. Whatever, it doesn't matter. The point is, um, she was saying how how exciting and how cool it was to to have that experience, and then listening to the album, I I thought it was a really great fit for her voice. Um, like you both have said, the, the clarity of her voice uh, sort of soaring over top of these swelling strings. Uh, it just it just fits really nicely. Andrew, yes, he is credited as uh, one of the producers on Callous Copper as well. Cool. After doing a bit of stalking on Instagram, I feel this may be because they've been dating for a very, very long time. Damn. So, okay. Yeah, that's very interesting. They've been dating for like eight years. So Shit. that must be a very interesting collaboration. Soraya, you have chosen a track from an incredible performance, not necessarily the traditional album setting that Andrew and I draw from. Yes, so I have chosen the track That Funny Feeling from the album Inside the Songs, not Inside the Songs, but Inside Parentheses the Songs, which is an album of music from a performance by the artist Bo Burnham. Stunning 8K resolution meditation app In honor of the revolution It's half off at the gap Deadpool self-awareness Loving parents harmless fun so probably i know you guys are familiar with bo burnham and probably anyone listening is uh, my mom probably isn't <laughs> okay well then i'll do a little bit of a do a little bit of, ba- of background on bo burnham um because it is a bit relevant to this song um so bo burnham is a 30 year old american comedian Born in Massachusetts, born and raised in Massachusetts, um, and he became famous 
when he was quite young um, because he was part of the kind of first generation of creators to come up on YouTube in its very early days. He posted several like comedic songs that he had made for his family onto YouTube in 2006 and they went viral and then he kind of has been in the limelight ever since and when he did that he was like I don't know I don't know very young um and after that that kind of launched a whole career of um making more um musical comedy which I think he's really (laughs) um while that was definitely that was definitely like a, a a big era for musical comedy. Lonely Island was making music then. Flight of the Concords. Like there's a lot of like musical comedy happening. Um, mm. So that's kind of where his where he. So it, it made sense at the time that there'd be this like 16 year old white guy just making songs that were really raunchy and offensive um, and playing them on his piano. And then that transformed into a career that involved like multiple stand-up specials um, as he was growing older in his late teens and early 20s. He uh, wrote a book of poems. He started acting a bit more. Um, And then about five years ago, after like around the time that he was doing his previous his third stand-up comedy special, was, which was called Make Happy, he started having um, really bad panic attacks on stage as he was performing and decided to retire from doing comedy altogether. And he instead uh, wrote and directed a pretty well-acclaimed movie um, and kind of started doing other things with his career. Just, I just want to say the movie is eighth grade. I just want to say that because my mom has seen that movie, so she'll. <laughs> yes, the movie is eighth grade. Um, <laughs> so just so you know, Pat, <laughs> um, I think once eighth grade really was released, it, it, he also star. He also um, performed in Promising Young Woman, which is a film I think did pretty well last year. So, and he's actually slated to star as Larry Bird in a movie in a. <laughs> basketball on hbo (laughs) that's coming out (laughs) so funny and i think like that was i think it was a bit disappointing to his fan base that he was no longer doing the thing that he was so good at but he is simply so good at so many other things that people really supported him in his retirement anyway like anyone wants to watch Bo Burnham act he's really great at it um he's a very charismatic performer um then he announced uh only a few months ago that he would be doing that he would be releasing a fourth comedy special on Netflix called Inside this song is from that special and the special is very very interesting because it really tackles a lot of the um a lot of the anxieties and challenges that he has faced being a famous content creator it seems like he is one of those people who was handed fame and validation too early to really know what he was getting into he kind of was thrust onto some stage like oh we think you're funny like please perform for us forever and if you decide that you want to get a normal job you will be seen as a failure for having done so um you know your responsibility is now to the talent that we say that you have but if you don't make things that we like we will 
call you talentless. Um, and he just seems like somebody who was give who was who was forced into that very difficult position before mm-hmm. ever thinking about whether or not it would be congruous with the other aspects of his personality. And he says that he's a really anxious person who has a lot of difficulty um, with, you know, seeking approval and stuff like that. And so the work of that he's so famous for has been very difficult for him to make. And this special is partially about that and partially also about what, like wondering what role um, comedy and content creation has in our current society when everything is falling apart. Soraya, we talked about this a little uh, a couple days ago, um, but this feels like an apocalyptic song to me, like a song mm-hmm. about the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And Gabe, what is it about that that makes you feel like that? Is it maybe like the lines like 20,000 years of this, seven more to go? Or <laughs> Well, what I was going to say, Andrew, is not only the like the grander existential apocalypse facing you know modern human society but like a very personal apocalypse yeah that's happening to Bo Burnham as, as a human being um and tying together those loops yeah uh, because yes it's clearly clearly about to some extent about like the impending apocalypse yeah that we've created for ourselves but the reason I, I, I really like this song is because I feel like it speaks to some intangible, funny, funny feeling that I have felt for a number of years now. Um, I don't know if it was getting older. I don't know if it was living through the Trump administration. Looking at the world around me and doing precisely this, like, collection collection the collection and observation that he kind of does in all the lyrics of this song that's just like right this whack thing and this whack thing and this whack thing and they all exist together and make this composite reality that is really scary and entertaining and confusing all at once um and feels and some of these things that I witness feel sometimes feel like some death knell, like really like shepherding us towards the apocalypse. <laughs> the simplicity of the song is that he just lists those things and then mentions like, and these all make me feel really strange. And this is just a strange time that we're living in. And it is scary and it is hard and it feels a bit apocalyptic. To have that um, to have that so simply made tangible, I think is is quite a difficult task and is certainly not something that you would see in a lot of other music that isn't the music that Bo Burnham is doing, which is music that isn't necessarily for easy listening, but is music for, for thinking about music as a vessel for thinking about larger ideas. And that's why it felt so special to me. And like, this is why this is so much more difficult to capture in a situation where you're not, you know, making a comedy special um, and using that as an umbrella to talk about a number of things that would be hard to talk about in popular music. 20,000 years of this, seven more to go. Carpool karaoke, Steve Aoki, Logan Paul. A gift shop at the gun range, a mass shooting at the mall. I have listened to this song. I have not seen the special, but I've listened to the song twice now. 
I, I really do feel sort of the impending doom of it all in all the different ways. Like, like I, I think I, f- I feel a similar way that, that this feels so very like accurate to me, very precise. Like, and he, he, he constructs the song really well where there's, it alternates between those like very clearly like apocalyptic thing versus like very much like, sort of like late stage capitalism like like funny twitter apocalyptic things you know Mm -hmm. but then also sometimes then he like there are certain lines that he's that are just simply poetic lines like that unapparent summer air and early fall is just like whoo like to just like shove that in there in between lines about stevie aoki and the live action lion king is like oh just yeah yeah so considerate well and i think also it sort of um i'm having trouble talking about that the the steve aoki live action lion king parts <laughs> of the song trying i've i'm having difficulty classifying them but that's what i mean sort of like the the like it's a it's a certain brand of online sort of like look at how fucked the world is but like it's still mm-hmm. a joke you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah but the way that it's put in here makes it like it is still it is a joke. I mean, this is a comedy song, uh, you know, <laughs> s- supposedly <laughs> to someone uh, out there. <laughs> but like, right? But it, it really like it's it's not that it it heightens the sort of impending doom of the live action Lion King beyond its worth. It just it just like clarifies it. Like uh, I don't mean to say that yeah. the live action Lion King is is the end of the world. But what I mean is like. That sort of like brand, that style of like late stage capitalism, like humor is like funny, but it's also like super not funny because of all of the like bugles take on race is like a hilarious phrase, but mm-hmm. is also uh, a a symptom of a lot of terrible things. I think a lot of times when you see this sort of joke on the internet. It is joke first and then like joke because of like the vague undertone of impending doom. Um, But what I think this song does well is bring both of those aspects to the forefront. So it's still funny that he rhymes carpool karaoke with Steve Aoki. That's hilarious. Mm -hmm. But it's also like it, it doesn't let you forget. It doesn't let you just like sit in the joke and forget about why is this like why is there carpool karaoke juxtaposed both in the song and in real life with mass shooting at the mall. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it doesn't let you escape completely into the joke. It it keeps you, it holds you in that, in that funny feeling. What's interesting about this song is that there's no other song like it in the special or on the, this album. If you go listen to the album, what's stunning about this song is that this is the only song like it because this song itself is a bit. It's very serious and it's also a joke. Like he, yeah. you know, he starts with saying, I can't really uh, play the guitar very well um, or sing. So, you know, ap- ap- apologies. Which in and of itself is just a joke, you know, about yeah. the, the setting and the choice to use the guitar for this song and all that stuff. And, um, but I think despite the fact that it's like nothing else in the special, it also embodies everything that the special is about which is holding both 
what's funny about the era that we're in and what's um absolutely terrifying about the era that we're in um in Mm. in your hands at the same time uh and and being unafraid to, to to confront um both those feelings and i think he does that very well and i think it's part of what makes this such such a dark 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 piece of media um but one that i've really i've really learned from yeah I've, i feel like i've grown a lot honestly there it is again that funny feeling that funny feeling there it is again that funny feeling that funny feeling Soraya, what have you been working on recently that you want to tell the people about? There are some upcoming projects, but they will not be live for a while. Um, they exist in the far future. Um, but uh, one project that I'm working on that I'm excited about um, is a three-song EP called Sweeter Goodbye. And I'm recording it at the moment. I'm also working on a song called Master Mania, mm. which uh, feels very... Uh, well, I think one reason why I brought Bo Burnham to the podcast and one reason why he's been on a lot on my mind is because I myself have been thinking a lot over the past couple years about making music for the apocalypse and um, using music to talk about some really difficult aspects of the world that we're currently in. So Master Mania is a song I'm really excited about. It's a song about NDAs and... Um, why it feels really sad to sign them and uh why they're wrong Uh, (laughs) and I'm really excited about it because I think um it was a situation where I kind of took a lot of feelings apocalyptic feelings that um felt very complicated that couldn't be expressed in any way other than song and was for me able to successfully translate them into into song so I'm very excited about that one but that's also um, probably a bit a ways off in the future. And if we wanted to stay up to date on your content, what's the best way for us to follow you? You can follow me on Instagram or on Twitter or on YouTube or on my website. And all of those handles are Soraya Perry, S-O-R-A-Y-A-P-E-R-R-Y. And they'll be in the show notes, so uh, we'll leave those for everybody. Andrew, we also typically do a sequence of other new music that we enjoyed from this past week. Um, yeah. I, I don't think either of us had a ton of time to listen to stuff, but what else no. jumped out to you and Soraya as well? Please chime in. Um, something that I really enjoyed uh, from this week is uh, a- an album of covers, actually, I, by Clem Snide slash Eve Barzillay. His real name's Eve Barzillay. He also goes by Clem Snide. Both names are on this album, which is entitled Smothered and Covered Volume 1. It's just a really great cover album, and there's two Journey songs on there, and they're really good. Wow. It's also, I mean, this is maybe, like, it's a wide range of things. Like, there's, like, a Lauryn Hill song on there also, and then there's a cover of Don't Think Twice, It's Alright. They're all great, and also I think that that 
Bob Dylan cover is the best version of that song I've ever heard. I really loved the album Noir from Jesse Markin, uh, who is a, uh, a Liberian Finnish singer-songwriter who in, uh, brings in a lot of uh, hip-hop and rap elements as well into his music. I thought it was excellent. I really enjoyed two tracks this week. The first was Last Train Home by John Mayer, who is mm-hmm. leading, he's leaning hard into his, his corniness, and it's just amazing. It's so fun. And also Moonwalk by Cupcake, a new single that I also really enjoyed. Every time I listen to a new Cupcake song, I feel like I can conquer the world. Um, well, if you don't feel like you can conquer the world, I recommend listening to the self-titled album from Mind Maintenance, which is <laughs> a uh, very sort of chill and meditative album of... It's a collaboration between uh, two musicians, and it's just um, just the two of them, one of them playing the Guimbri, Guimbri and one of them playing the Yimbira, uh, which are two, uh, I mean... African instruments. I don't know anything more specific than that. But the Imbira is you're probably familiar with. It's like a thumb piano. Might also be called a kalimba. Anyway, um, really cool sort of meditative instrumental uh, percussion and uh, yeah, like transcendentalish mind maintenance. I also wanted to point out the new Marina album, which I've listened to a few tracks off of, and I'm excited to listen to the rest of called. Ancient Dreams in a Modern Land um, is like she's a Welsh singer and it's very poppy, but but I liked it. That's our show for the week. You can give us a follow on Twitter at Fresh Pressed Pod, and we have a Spotify playlist that contains all of our tracks that we have featured on the show. Also in the show notes, you can stay up to date with everything that Soraya is doing. She is an amazing budding musician and artist uh, and a great friend. So keep up to date with her music. Andrew and I will be back uh, after a one week break next week on June 29th with more tunes and more grooves. But for now, I'm Gabe. I'm Andrew. I'm Soraya. And you have been listening to Fresh Pressed. Fresh Pressed.